With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Happy Thursday, everyone. It is opening day in the baseball regular season. You guys know me. I love my college basketball. And for all of you guys that listen to College Hoops Overtime Betting, a big welcome to all of you guys as now we are adding to this family of podcasts. I will continue to be doing College Hoops Overtime Betting every single day throughout the college basketball season. And then once the offseason hits, I'll be doing it once a week. But now that baseball is in full swing, every single day at midnight Pacific, 3 Eastern, you are going to be getting a fresh podcast in your inbox as long as you subscribe to this fine podcast on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It's going to include a side and total on every game on today's baseball betting board, which I'm going to be doing in a final segment that you guys know me from basketball season. It was called Expeditions. This one, it's called Such Em All. Yep, we're going to be having a lot of fun with this podcast, you guys. Coming up in the second segment, Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about the offseason moves, talking about teams to bet on, going to be talking about teams that might be ascending, might be declining, so be on the lookout for that. And in this first segment, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about my baseball philosophy, a little bit about how I bet. I'm going to be getting into this in future days, so that way you guys have a little bit of insight on this. Many of you guys know that college basketball really is my forte, but last year I got into baseball betting and things went pretty well. I was up 91.57 units for the year. I did not bet every last game on the baseball betting board, but I would say I was betting about 80 to 85% of them. This year I'm going to be betting every last one of them. 
Now, do know with baseball, unlike in college basketball, I'm not going to be locking in every last play the night before. On my Twitter page, at GUNIT underscore 81, I'll be continually... I will be continually updating my plays. There are going to be some plays that I lock in right when the opening number hits. I will take a look at it and I say, you know what, the opening number, it's the best I'm going to get in this situation. I really like the Giants at minus 130, just for example, and I think it's going to get steamed to minus 160. Going to take value. And that's the big thing with baseball betting. A lot of times you are betting on value because... With the MLB regular season, it's 162 games for every single team, unless you have like some funky rain out or or you have a game 163, something like that. You always see some things where you have some very interesting shenanigans going on, but out of all the sports, baseball is the biggest grind. You're going to have some weeks that are straight fire. I remember having a day in August in the baseball season last year in which I was up 17 units just betting like every game. And then the next day, I was down 12 units. This is, in my opinion, the most volatile sport to bet. So be on the lookout for that. And then when I do my baseball betting, I have a philosophy that is a little bit different from my college basketball handicapping. In college basketball, whenever I bet a side or total, I'm always laying 110 or I'm getting a plus price. I either lay the points with the favorite or if the team is an underdog, I just put down one unit on the money line, and I try to get a plus price there. With baseball, it's sometimes unavoidable. I'm going to take some run lines to be able to try to mitigate some of the juice, and I'm going to be on a couple run lines today. You're going to hear that in the final segment, but with that said, there are some times where a team is a minus 130, 135 favorite. I'm going to lay the 1.3, 1.35 units to try to get back one unit. That is my whole approach here. I lay one unit on underdog slash the total. If it's like minus 110, I lay 1.1 units to try to get back one. On underdogs, let's say they're a plus 150 shot. I'm going to lay down one unit to try to get back 1.5. But when you have the favorites that are like minus 130, minus 140, I will put down that 1.3, 1.4 units to try to get back one. That is my personal philosophy on this. Also with totals, I am someone that I sort of take that college basketball philosophy and I try to lay as little juice as possible. You'll notice that in some shops, you'll have a total of, say, eight, and let's say that I like the under. Let's say that under eight is minus 120 juice, but I see that there's an under seven and a half out there, and I'm able to get like plus 105, plus 110. I'm just giving you an example here. I'm going to take that that half run less and I'm going to take the plus price instead. That way I can mitigate the juice. I noticed that this was very successful for me last year. I know that some people can agree, disagree on this and I'm going to try to give some more thresholds on this unlike in college basketball because for one, there's such fewer games to be able to handicap in baseball rather than college basketball. You guys remember my Saturday podcast during the regular season of college basketball. There were some days where I was giving out sides and totals at 110 different games. It was absolutely insane. In baseball, if you have a rain hour or two, the absolute max that you could be at is like 16 or 17 games. And then obviously, some of these games are going to change a little bit more because you do have lineup changes. You do have pitching scratches, everything like that. So I'm going to be noting that more on my Twitter page at unit underscore 81. So really the podcast and my Twitter feed do go hand in hand with this. But I always find that that with the podcast, I'm able to go much more in depth with my analysis and what I'm seeing with these games, which is why I'm going to be doing this podcast. I'm going to be doing it every single day for you. And obviously, if there's like a lineup change, I will be explaining that on Twitter. So don't worry. If you have a question on a game in which there are some changes, I will be responding to that. If you ask about a game in which there's absolutely no change, I will just obviously refer you to the podcast. But I, I feel like that's the very... 
I feel like that's the most fair way of doing it. And like I've been saying, betting baseball is all about long-term value. So you're going to be noticing some volatility. I actually got down like 15 units to start off the baseball season before I really picked it up. And September was probably my best month in regards to return on investment. September baseball was very, very kind to me. And it is one of those things where in baseball, plus money is your friend. So you're going to be noticing that I'm going to be taking a couple more underdogs and favorites. I do take a look at all these teams. I do take a look a lot more at historical trends than you do with college basketball, especially with one and duns being a thing in college basketball. Meanwhile, in baseball, you have a lot more history of pitchers that just historically struggle against some teams, against certain batters, everything like that. You've got pitching splits, like there are some pitchers that they just can't get righties out to save their lives. They're going up against a team that is just full of lefties and they can't pitch against lefties to save their lives. It's one of those things where it's going to cause me to go to one team or the other. So there's going to be a lot of that. We're going to be trying to get into as much depth with that. You're going to get into fielding independent, going to be getting into strikeout rate, everything like that. Obviously, there's not going to be as many numbers the first couple weeks of the year because right now we have absolutely no numbers because no games have been played throughout the regular season. And let's face it, spring training is merely a tune-up. You can gauge a little bit through spring training. And I'm going to be asking for Dan Zimborski's thoughts on what he saw from some players that he thought had good slash bad spring trainings as well. But with that said, spring training, not necessarily a gauge of how good things are going to be in the regular season, just as Shohei Otani. And then one other thing that I know that a lot of you guys were asking me about is whether I play full games or F5s. I am not much of a first five player. I always go with the full game just because with first fives, yeah, you're probably going to be able to bet on a pitcher a little bit more. You can gauge your tendencies in the first five since you're really eliminating bullpens for the most part in that time. But with that said, you can just have one fluky play that really throws things off. And I'm one of those people, you're going to notice this with my analysis as the weeks go on, that I really take a look at these bullpens. I am someone that I watch a lot of the MLB whip around coverage on MLB Network where you just where they're just taking you from game to game to game to game because you guys know that in college basketball, I'm someone that I like to try to watch as many games as possible, and the MLB Network allows me to be able to do that. I get to watch these bullpens in high-leverage situations, these batters in high-pressure moments as well. That has really helped me out with my baseball handicapping. Figured I would give you that right there. And if you have any other questions for the podcast, since obviously this is day number one of the baseball podcast, if you just have any questions on my general handicapping that you want answered on, on this podcast, please do tweet them in at unit underscore 81 over the next couple days, over the next couple weeks, and throughout the season, I will continue to answer them for you just like I do on the College Hoops Overtime Betting Podcast. Always happy to be able to give you guys some insight, and I'm here to help you guys out because everyone deserves to be just informed. Not everyone's going to be able to get the same lines as everyone else. Not everyone has the same bankroll. I just want to do the best that I possibly can to be able to point you guys in the right direction because everyone, no matter what kind of a handicapper you are, no matter how big or small of a fan you are, everyone's bet is significant in my opinion. As long as it's significant to you, it's deemed a significant bet. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. As long as you're trying your best, you're trying to improve your handicapping, that is all that matters. And hopefully I can be here to help guide you guys through that. And hopefully I can give you guys some laughs throughout the year as well. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm also looking forward to talking to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. That is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. 
Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And welcome back to the podcast, MLB Overtime Betting. And it is a great pleasure to be joined by our next guest as we're back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in Las Vegas. Dan Zimborski does tremendous work for Fangrass. He is a guy that he tracks a little bit of everything in baseball. One of the most knowledgeable guys in regards to saber metrics and the ins and outs of the game. And he is joining me right now. You can follow Dan on Twitter at the Zimborski. And the last name is spelled S Z Y M B O R S K I. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure I didn't get any of those letters wrong because I'm just like, did I say a C or a K? But I think we got it on that one. So I well, was see, very proud of myself. It, 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 it uh, made me have a uh, life of good spelling because I had to learn to spell that as a four year old. So once I could spell my last name, I could pretty much spell anything. Exactly. And one thing that we know how to spell is, well, a lot of money as a lot of guys got paid over the offseason. Mike Trout got his extensive extension, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, all these guys got paid. Out of all these big splash moves, which one did you think was the most significant? Well, I think Trout was because there was always this feeling that Trout was probably going to be with the Angels forever, but nobody was really sure that he'd be with the Angels forever. And, you know, you look at a Mike Trout, and there's really nobody you can add in baseball that would make as much of a difference as Mike Trout. So there's always that, that little salivating in the, in, the, in the back of your throat as you think about what if Mike Trout becomes a free agent and we can sign him? But now that's pretty much off the table because the Angels have him locked up for probably the useful portion of his career. It's a sad day for people who are hoping for some big news stories about the Trout sweepstakes in a couple of years. Absolutely. And my goodness, all that money, 400 plus million dollars. I wish I had became a good baseball player. I've retired after the eighth grade due to a lack of talent, but... We take a look at so many moves that were made in the MLB offseason. Obviously, you had the splash moves with the Trouts, the Manny Machados, and everything like that. What kind of moves went under the radar, though? Because I feel like a couple teams made some very good moves. You had the St. Louis Cardinals being able to get Paul Goldschmidt, and I feel like that actually might be the most significant one this season because I think it makes the Cardinals big contenders out there in the NL Central. One of the things the Cardinals have missed is they've always been, when you look at their current era, a solid team from top to bottom, but they have had very few MVP candidates. Uh, the last one to rank significantly in the MVP voting was Matt Carpenter. I think it was 2012 or 2013, so it, it's been a while for them. Uh, Goldschmidt, I mean, he's, he's going to age, but right now he's an elite first baseman, and he actually gives the Cardinals a bat that could be an MVP caliber bat that they were hoping Ozuna would blossom into, but that didn't happen. So once your expectations don't happen, you have to move on from that. So I do love the Goldschmidt trade because they didn't really give up any of their crown jewels. That's so huge as well, because those are always going to come into play during the stretch run. And do you think that the Cardinals have a legitimate chance to be able to win the NL Central? Because we know that the Milwaukee Brewers bring back Mike Boustakis and all those guys. It seems like if they're able to get a healthy Jimmy Nelson, they're going to be pretty strong in the pitching staff because I know that they're starting just seen for their opening day starter. You've got the Cubs. They're obviously locked loaded and ready for bear. And then you've got, well, the Reds being the Reds. The Pirates actually have a little bit of something, but I just don't think that this is going to be their year. Yeah, I, I theoretically they could. It's just such a tough division right now because even the Reds are, are a significantly better team than they were last year. I don't think they're really divisional contenders the same way the top three teams are. 
Uh, but the, the Cubs are reeling a little bit. It's a team that isn't spending as much as, as they used to, or at least trying not to. And, you, of course, you know, you see them saying, oh, we're out of money. I don't I mean, nobody really believes that. But if they're not actually spending money, it's the same effect as being out of money. And the Cubs, they've traded a lot of their minor league system for late season moves. Like you look at the Aroldis Chapman trade, they've given up some real value and they don't have the depth that they used to have. And that's kind of left it open to the, the Brewers and the Cardinals. The Brewers made another sign that I thought was one of the best of the offseason was getting Ismani Grandal for one year, a one year contract for a top tier catcher. That, that's a coup. Some of it, of course, is due to the kind of depression in the market, but the Brewers did see the way the tiles were, were leaning and, and, and made that signing for Grandal and made that short-term deal for Moustakas. I am always a fan of one-year contracts in baseball, as it is Dan Zimborski joining, joining me right here on, on MLB Baseball Overtime. And you always get those guys for one year. You get to sort of try before you buy because now we're seeing all these mega deals and everything like that. So I am right there with you on the Grandal deal. And then we were talking a little bit earlier about the Mike Trout signing. We saw the Angels actually get off to a pretty nice start last year. And then when they had the big injury to... They had a lot of injuries last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Angels always do, and they always seem surprised when they do. I mean, they pretty much had Andrew Heaney and, and Barria carrying the rotation, and they lost Shoemaker, they lost Richard. I mean, it was a pretty brutal list. Oh, yes, I'm right there with you. And then I just realized who I was forgetting about with the Angels a few minutes ago, and I feel stupid for forgetting Shohei Otani. What are the expectations for him this year? Because it felt like when he was injured last year, it just sent this team completely down the tubes. Is there any expectation whatsoever for him to play this year? Well, he, he's going to hit this year, and his offense was better than expected. Yeah, I can't believe we kind of skipped over the, 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 uh, the, the, you know, the, the 300 pound gorilla in the room, the 1000 pound gorilla in the room, Otani's injury. They did get a lot from him just, uh, with the bat instead of pitching. Obviously, the, in the short term, the pitching's not going to be a thing again. Uh, and I think they had to be very careful, you know, not to end up making setbacks for his pitching progress. Uh, that's why you're going to see him as a DH probably entirely. But no, I, I, you're looking at, you know, 2020 for, for him to return to the mound. But I, I think he'll be a plus this year offensively. I mean, he was last year. Just I think he exceeded everybody's wildest expectations there. Oh, I am right there with you. I had no expectations for him after spring training. Taking a look out there in the AL West, you had the Angels all banged up and everything like that. And then the A's, they just laid an egg when they went to Japan. What was your thoughts on that? Because I know that the A's had just such a remarkable stretch run last year, but they were really doing it without any starting pitcher. They had Mike Fires in there starting rotation at the number one spot this year. It just feels like they're due for a little bit of regression. It, it does feel that way. I know a lot of times I look at a team and when they outperform how I expected, a lot of times I can see, oh, that's where I was wrong. But I, I, I still look at that team and I just don't see a 97-win team there. I see a team that has a lot of you know valuable players. I think Matt Chapman is, an, is a really solid player. Chris Davis is one of the best power hitters in the majors. They had a lot of a lot more contribution from guys like Mark Kenna and Chad Pinder than I expected. But you know, they got a lot of, of, of play from, you know, guys like Edwin Jackson. They had Brett Henderson kind of healthy, which is an unusual thing. Sean Manea, who is injured, and so that's not even an issue for them to have in 2019, at least early. I don't remember if he's coming back late in the year or not, 
And of course, Fires was was solid with with the A's. I just don't see them being as good this year as last year. And I think the Astros probably are happy to have a breather because they did not expect to have as much of a race as they did. No, they certainly did not. And speaking of the Astros, they are just loaded once again. They have built this program the right way. You've got Springer out there in the outfield. You've got all those power bats. You've got so much starting pitching. Do you feel like they're perhaps the best team out there in the AL? I know that the Yankees obviously going to have something to say about that. The Red Sox are the World Series champs, but it feels like these three are really the big three out there in the American League. Yeah, that's absolutely the big three. I think it's interesting that American League and the National League have kind of flipped in, in some respect because you go back, you know, three or four years, it was the National League it had a few teams at the top and a lot of teams at the bottom. But now the AL's like that. You look at the top of the AL and you look at the bottom of the AL and there's barely a middle. It almost feels like they shouldn't have two wild cards this year in the AL. I, I, I do think that the Astros are in that, you know, that discussion for the best team in, in the league. I'd probably give it to the Yankees by a hair, but I think that if injuries strike both teams badly, the Astros have a little better depth to handle that issue. I certainly think so as well. As it's Dan Zimborski joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And Dan, when you take a look at the landscape of baseball, there's always a couple teams like the A's who we brought up a little bit earlier that they just jump out from out of nowhere. Who do you think might be that team this year? Obviously, it's a little bit difficult, but do you think that there's a team that just did not fare well last year that they're going to be able to turn things around? Uh, I know it's kind of trendy to talk about the Padres, but they do have a lot going for them beyond signing Manny Machado. And of course, bringing in Manny Machado is huge, but you look at the offense and it's pretty solid from top to bottom. You can make an argument now that Eric Hosmer is their worst starter. Which, I mean, I'm not a huge Eric Hosmer fan, but if Eric Hosmer is your worst starter, I mean, you're probably doing okay. Uh, they have a lot of interesting outfield prospects and sort of prospects that have had like a year or a year and a half in the majors. I think Ian Kinsler being brought in to kind of bridge the position to when you have, you know, you have Urias and, and Tatis full time, I think is a big ad because he's still a gold glove type defender, even if his offense has dropped off. So I think the Padres have a good offense. Now, the pitching staff, mainly the rotation, isn't a good rotation yet. But you look at their just, they have like this critical mass of just top prospects. You know, Chris Paddock, and, and, and you look farther down, you have the Mackenzie Gore, and you know, they have a lot of guys who could just break out. It could be Logan Allen, it could be Eric Lauer. It's, there are a lot of guys that, if they hit those high-end, get a little lucky, a lot could come together very quickly for the Padres, enough to make them at least an interesting wildcard team because the NL West outside the Dodgers is not that strong right now. And you take a look at Joey LaCasey, too. I feel like he has the materials that it takes to be an ace. There are so many of these guys out here in baseball that it feels like they're up-and-coming starting pitching. They're up-and-coming starting pitchers. I feel like LaCasey's one of the best of all of them. Yeah, he's also established himself as an arm who is fairly dependable. He had a good season last year. There were some problems, still a few too many home runs for, uh, for a guy who pitches in Petco. But I, I, I think that'll resolve to a degree in time. I mean, he came to the majors without really any kind of adjustment period, uh, which a lot of young pitchers need. Essentially skipped AAA, barely pitched in AA. So uh, he, he learned on the job. So I do expect to see some improvement there. But it's a fascinating team. Even if they didn't sign Machado, it would be an interesting team. I think Machado just pushes them close enough this year that they could be a wild card contender, and that 
that that makes him you know doubly fascinating because wondering if a team can win 90 instead of 80 is is better than wondering if they can win say 83 instead of 73 or something absolutely and you take a look at some of these young pitchers we just touched on joey lucchese who else are some of these guys that are younger arms that you feel like could really improve this year because i look at luis castillo with the reds he's a guy that he throws some gas it felt like Every single start last year, he had like three or four good innings, and then the wheels completely fell off. You've got a guy like Tyler Glasnow out there for the Tampa Bay Rays. It feels like he's got some really good stuff, but he just needs a little bit of fine-tuning. Who are some other guys you take a look at that you feel like could have breakout seasons? Well, I briefly talked about Chris Paddock. I, I, I like what he's done with the Padres. Very curious to see if Brent Honeywell gets back on track, because I really, really liked him as a pitcher before, of course, his injury and, and, you know, Blake Snell kind of leapfrogged him in, in the organization and kind of standing. But I really want to see what they get from him this year. Maybe because I miss having a, a, a real screwball picture in the majors. You know, Fernando and, and then like, yes. the screwball's a fun pitch. I would like to see if some of the Brewers, you know, guys are just kind of hanging around the rotation breakout. I'd love to see Jimmy Nelson return, although I don't know if you can call him a young guy. Uh, there's Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. There's there's a lot of guys out there, and sometimes you don't know. I liked Blake Snell. I didn't like him. I didn't think he was going to be a you know the Cy Young contender. So we'll see. Absolutely, as it's Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast. And Dan, and speaking of which, was there a player or two out there in spring training that really did impress you that you think is going to be due for a breakout year? I don't know if I call it a, a, a breakout potential, but I did like seeing Lewis Brinson actually hit the ball. A little hey. bit in spring training. I mean, he hit five home runs, and after after his his major league performance so far, let's just say, has been less than <laughs> expected. I mean, he was he was a disaster last year. It was just just a mess. I he was at the point where you really had to change how you feel about him, the way he's played, because he's missing everything. I do like what Ryan McMahon's done in the Rockies. It's it's still to be seen how much room they actually find for him in the lineup. Mankata has been walking a lot. I mean, he hit like 350 in the spring, so I'm always hopeful that he'll break out. We'll, we'll see. And I was glad to see that the Mets aren't going to play service time games with Pete Alonso because the NL East looks like it's going to be a pretty close division. And with four teams involved, it's really, really hard to give up that even half a game worth of wins for a possible cheaper season seven years down the road. I was I was happy to see the Mets actually reward Alonzo for a spring performance because it's it's hard to have the guy hit you know a thousand OPS since the spring, tell him that he's not ready for the majors, and then he's magically prepared for the majors after three weeks in the minors. It's like that would strain credibility a little bit, I think. Exactly, Chris Bryant two point precisely. So that would have been very. And he's not happy. There 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 are consequences of that. You don't just get the free season. You have. The players know exactly what's going on. Oh, yes, and, they do. Yeah. <laughs> I am right there with you. And then this is a betting show out here. So last year, a big money maker for me was just betting whoever in the world the Orioles were playing against. Are the <laughs> Orioles our team once again to bet against every single game? Or is there someone else that you're looking at? It, the, the Orioles, I mean, you expect it to happen. It's part of the plan. But the Orioles are going to be just just so, so terrible this year. They, most teams, even like bad teams, tend to have, you know, a saving grace. But the Orioles are literally at the bottom of the league 
at every position except relief pitching, where they have a couple guys still at the top. I mean, Jesus Sucre is going to be the starting catcher initially with Pedro Severino. Chris Davis could have an amazing comeback and still be a replacement-level player in 2019 because that's how bad he was in 2018. Don't, don't, don't put your money behind hoping the Orioles do well. I'm just taking a look at this roster right now. You've got like Andrew Kashner at the starting pitcher, Dylan Bundy, who is awful. You mentioned Sucre. Oh my gosh. Jonathan VR yeah, is the guy that they're really hanging their hat on in the infield. Ooh, unless if Trey Boom Boom Mansuni comes through, this could be another 100 plus loss season. I think it's going to be a 100 loss season. Uh, the, the weird thing about the Orioles is they actually were a little bit unlucky last year <laughs> because they probably shouldn't have been quite a 115 loss team. I mean, they did have two thirds of a season of Manny. They had, they had, you know, two thirds of a season of Gosman. If they actually got worse, then, you know, they'd be the worst team of all time <laughs> because they weren't that far from the 62 Mets. Not as bad as the Cleveland Spiders, but there was some owner chicanery going there, which we won't get into. But I think it's a, it's a 110 loss team. Oh man, uh, that is. That means that if we're you're gonna... getting over unders, you need a very, very, a very low number if you're going to take the over on them. I think. I think the over under for their win total is currently 59 <laughs> at most places I'm seeing in Las Vegas. Oh, now. W- oh yeah, don't take the over on 59. <laughs> I would not do that. That's bad. <laughs> when you throw out there, oh, they only have the over under of 59, and you recommend the under. Not a redeeming quality right there. I mean, f- f- 59 wins would be 12 better than they did last year. 12 better than a team that had Manny Machado for half the season. Oh, man. I mean, That's- they, yeah, it's, and I mean, it's part of the plan. It's not that the Orioles are poorly run right now. It's that, like, you know, the house was so dilapidated, all they could do is tear it down and start over. But in 2019, they'll, they'll be pretty funny. They'll be, uh, there's a thing. If you're going to be terrible, be really legendarily terrible. Don't just be like boring terrible. You know, winning, going 62 and 100, you're a bad team, but you're not notably bad that it's interesting. When you lose 115 games, you're an interesting bad team. Like the 1988 Orioles, they were interesting because they started the lead the season losing 21 straight games. If, if you're going to fail, fail amazingly. It, it should be an amusing team if, if you have kind of a gallows sense of humor. I love it how you bring it, bring up lose amazingly when we bring up the 62 Mets as well. So that is absolutely spectacular there. And Dan, would like to get you out on this. Where can the good people find you on social media and elsewhere? Well, you can find me at D Zimborski on Twitter, D-E-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. Google man will fix it if you spell that wrong. Uh, I'm a senior writer for Fangraphs these days. I still contribute to ESPN.com, and that's pretty much what I do. All right, fantastic. And a big thanks to Dan Zimborski for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is opening day, and I've got to give you my bets for this first day of the baseball season. That is coming up next right here on the podcast. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, you better not blow it. And welcome back to MLB Overtime, the betting edition. A big thanks to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment. And now you know what? It is that time. I've been waiting to say this all day long. 
that I give you a side and total on every game on today's baseball betting board. So let's touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it. So it is time to touch them all. Yes, sir. And any changes that are made to these plays are going to be noted on my Twitter page at unit underscore 81. Now note there are a couple games I will not have fired on yet. I am waiting on better numbers as well. I will be constantly monitoring this on my Twitter page as well at unit underscore 81. So always note that. And we're going to go in Vegas rotation order. We start 905-906 on the betting rotation. You've got the New York Mets going on the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Max Scherzer going for the Nationals. Jacob deGrom going for the New York Mets. Total I'm seeing 6.5. A little bit of shade to the over. I'm seeing one book stations that is a little bit shaded to the under. And then when you're taking a look at the spread on this game, I'm seeing mostly across the board the Nationals minus 130 and the the Mets plus 120. This is a spot where you've got to take plus money with Jacob deGrom. I know that the New York Mets, well, they don't really have a lot of power bats, to say the least, but with that said, this is one where you just got to take a shot with Jacob deGrom. He had such a historic year last year. Obviously, his record didn't indicate how well he pitched, but this is a spot where you got to think that opening day, Jacob deGrom is going to go seven plus innings. Now, what happens in those other two? Who really knows, but... The Washington National Bats really do not have a good track record against Jacob DeGrom. And Max Scherzer, he's a very good pitcher. But with that said, he does sometimes get a little bit loose. He sometimes does give up those extra base hits. And with the New York Mets, I do have a feeling that even though they have their catcher spot in a little bit of flux, because I know that Devin Mazzarocco and Travis Darno are currently injured, they do have some pop in this lineup. Picking up Robinson Cano in the offseason was obviously huge for the New York Mets. How much he's going to be able to give this team because obviously he missed most of last year with that suspension. Who really knows? But I do think that we're going to see the Mets be able to string together a couple of hits. I think that they're going to be able to drive in a couple of runners. I do think that this is a game that goes over. I think that the Mets will be able to give up at least two runs because I do think that Jacob deGrom gives up one. And then the bullpen, you know that they're good to give up a couple with the Mets. And then with the National Max Scherzer, I think, is probably going to give up two runs, and I think the bullpen gives up a couple. This is a spot where at 6.5 and and being able to get minus 110 or even minus 105, even money, something like that, there's great value in being able to take that. So I'm going to take this game over, and I just have faith in Jacob deGrom being able to pitch a gem in this one. I know that Juan Soto really came on towards the back half of the year for the Nationals, but... With guys like Howie Kendrick and company batting for the Washington Nationals and no Bryce Harper, I have to look to the side of the New York Mets. 907-908 on the bang rotation. You've got the St. Louis Cardinals heading to Miller Park to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Ulysse Chassin pitching for the Milwaukee Brewers and Miles Mikolas going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Currently, it's the St. Louis Cardinals who are right around even money to plus 105 depending on where you look. Total on this one, 8.5. Shaded a little bit more towards the over between minus 115 and minus 120. This is a spot where I did look under. I know that Ulysse Chassin really had a little bit of an anomaly last year. He was absolutely sensational for this team, though he was typically going about five to six innings. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to be going deep into games, but he's effective when he gets there. And then with the Brewers, you know that they've got that bullpen. They've got Josh Hader. They've got Jeremy Jeffries. They've got so many arms out there that they're able to bring in. So I do think that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to be able to hold the Cardinals four runs or fewer in this game, even if Jacin doesn't necessarily have the best start. And with the 
St. Louis Cardinals. I just have so much faith in Miles Michaelis in this one. He had an ERA below three last year, 18-4. and four. He was sensational for this team. The Milwaukee Brewers did not have a whole lot of success against him. And then you take a look at the Cardinals in general. You've got Paul Goldschmidt now in the lineup. We talked with this with Dan Zimborski. He is such a difference maker for this team. Matt Carpenter was so hot down the stretch for this team. The Cardinals just always seem to have the Brewers number two. I personally am a Milwaukee Brewers fan. Cardinals always have the Milwaukee Brewers number. It wasn't necessarily true last year, but just take a look at the last 10 years and the success the Cardinals have had. This is one that I can see the Cardinals winning by kind of like 4-2, to 5-2, somewhere in that neighborhood. I think they get to Chasin. I think that the Cardinals bullpen also much better. I expect them to be able to get a little bit more out of the back half of that bullpen, especially with Hicks having another year under his belt after he was throwing just straight gas, but he was throwing the ball just completely straight. I think that he's really worked on his mechanics a little bit during the offseason. So for that reason, I think the Cardinals are going to be able to close this, close this one out. Took a little bit of a plus price here. And on this one, I am going with the under. And I locked in both these plays. And I also locked in both plays for the New York Mets versus the Washington Nationals. Just a little bit of housekeeping there. Game 909-910. We've got the Atlanta Braves going to Philadelphia to face off against the Phillies. For the Phillies, you've got Aaron Nola on the bump. And for the Atlanta Braves, you've got Julio Tehran. Total on this one. Started out at 7.5. Now we're seeing 8s across the board. And it's shaded mostly to the over. You're seeing minus 120 in most spots. I'm seeing one book with it being at minus 110. And then you take a look across the board. It is the Phillies between a minus 190 and minus $2 favorite. And you're getting right around plus 170 to plus 175 with the Atlanta Braves. Phillies are the right side on this one, and I wound up taking this game run line, and I locked this one in. With the run line, you're able to get a little bit of a plus price here with the Phillies. If not, you're probably going to be getting minus 105, minus 110, depending on when you take a look at this game. Obviously, a lot of these numbers are going to be a little bit of subject to change, but Aaron Nola was so good for the Philadelphia Phillies last year. And let's face it, Julio Tehran for the Atlanta Braves. He's the guy that he gets hit quite a bit. He typically is able to limit damage a little bit, but with that said, his whip and his fielding independent just do not leave a lot of forgiveness. Aranola, a guy that isn't necessarily going to be wiping people out with his strikeouts in Julio Tehran last year, 9-9 and with a 3.94 ERA. I feel like his numbers are better when taking a look at that than he actually pitched and then Nara Nola last year. I mean, 17-6, and 6, 2370 RA, 224 strikeouts. Even when the team was scuffling a little bit, he was sensational. And then for the Phillies, you've obviously got Bryce Harper in the lineup. Bryce Harper, going to make a world of difference for this lineup. You sign Andrew McCutcheon in the offseason. You've still got some good power bats out there from last year as well. Reese Hoskins being the most notable of them. You also bring back Herrera. You've got JT Riamuto. This is a Phillies team that did so much much in the offseason in order to really buff up all that they're able to do. And now you have Pat Neshek out there in the bullpen. That's a nice piece, but I do think that the Phillies are going to be a team that they're really going to be hanging their hat on offense. I think that they're going to be able to pound the Braves in this one. And for the Braves, you've got a team that's able to score a lot of runs. We all remember what the rookie sensations of this team were able to do last year. Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. really emerging onto the scene. Freddie Freeman, one of the more underrated players out there in baseball. Nick Markakis found the fountain of youth. So I think both these teams are probably going to be able to get to four runs in this game, in all honesty. I see Aaron Nola being able to have a quality start, but with that said, I do think that this is going to be a higher scoring game. And I think that the Phillies are going to be able to take advantage of an Atlanta Braves bullpen that I wouldn't say is bad, 
but I wouldn't necessarily be putting my chips on either. So for that reason, we are going to go with the better starting pitching in this one with the Philadelphia Phillies on the run line. I see them being able to get to seven runs in this game. I could see something like a 6-4, 7-4 game. So Phillies run line and the over, the locked-in plays on this game. Game 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. You've got the Pittsburgh Pirates heading to Cincinnati to face off against the Reds. Luis Castillo on the bump for the Reds. Jamison Tyon pitching for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The total on this one I'm seeing is 8, with it mostly shading to the over, though I am seeing some 8.5s out there with the under at minus 120 in most of those cases. And then with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're right around a plus 110 underdog, and you're seeing right around minus 118, minus 120 on the Cincinnati Reds. I remember being in the VEASAN studios last year, and we just saw Luis Castillo get steamed up time and time and time again. We talked about him with Dan Zimborski. It seems like he's an up-and-coming pitcher, but it's one of those things where I need to see it before I can believe it with Luis Castillo. He's got great upside. He's got great potential. And with that said, I think that there's going to be a whole lot of runs scored in this game because with the Cincinnati Reds, you've got some good power bats. We all know that Scooter Jeanette is able to rake. You've got Joey Votto, who does a good job of being able to hit the ball at the park. With the Reds, you don't have much of a bullpen. With the Pirates, well, they had their offense scuffling a little bit last year, but you still do have some power bats out there as well with Pittsburgh. You add Melky Cabrera to the outfield, and then you've got Corey Dickerson out there as well. That's a little bit of a step up. Sterling Marte is a guy that I need to see a little bit more out of with the Pittsburgh Pirates because he had a 277 with 20 home runs last year, but it just felt like he really was sort of a guy that came and went. I just don't know what it is about Sterling Marte, but he's a guy that's always been a little bit of an enigma to me. But with that said, I really do like the way that Jameson Tyon is able to pitch. And for the Reds, I just still have such questions with their bullpen. I have a feeling that this is going to be a very good over team this year. As last year, we noticed towards back half of the year, they were playing a ton of overs as well. And I think that the Pirates, I think they're probably going to give up like four runs in this game, but I could see the Pirates getting to six themselves. I think that the Pirates are going to be able to get a quality start out of Jamison Tyon. I think they're going to be able to do just enough to be able to close the door. And I think that Luis Castillo is going to be giving up a lot of walks. I could see him having like four or five good innings and then just having a blow up in the six. I think that's going to allow the Pirates to be able to win this game. So, locking in the over and the Pittsburgh Pirates on this game. Game 9-13, 9-14 on the bang rotation. For the Arizona Cardinals, hitting the road to face off against the Dodgers, it is Zach Greinke on the bump for the Diamondbacks as the Dodgers send out their Hunjin Ryu. And the total on this one is 7.5, shaded to the under. I'm seeing minus 115 and minus 120 all across the board. And then in this one, it is the Diamondbacks are catching between plus 140 and plus 145. Meanwhile, the Dodgers are laying 155. This is one where I'm looking at the Dodgers, but I've yet to fire in on this one. If I can get like plus 150, though, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, I might look at taking a look at it just because with Hunjin Ryu, He's a very solid starter. He actually had an ERA of a sub-2.5 last year. He was very solid for this team. He does have some injury and durability concerns, so that is always something to note. And the Dodgers, they might have their bullpen tax a little bit more towards the front end of the season because they're currently without Clayton Kershaw. But with that said, the Dodgers' bullpen isn't necessarily great to say the least. You've got guys like Ferguson out there that are able to do a little bit of something, but it's not necessarily a team with redeeming qualities. But man... If you're backing the Diamondbacks here, you need Zach Greinke to go at least seven because Archie Bradley looked absolutely awful in spring training. And he was absolutely awful towards the end of last year. I know that 
Dodger Stadium really doesn't yield a lot of runs, but I did wind up taking this total over just because I do think that the Diamondbacks, even though they have taken a massive step back with regards to their hitting, they no longer have in the full Paul Goldschmidt along with Gene Segura, but they still do have a couple power bats. I know that they also gave away A.J. Pollock in the offseason, so man, you are looking at a completely rebuilt Arizona Diamondbacks lineup, but their outfield does have some good mashers. You've got Adam Jones coming over from the Baltimore Orioles. He's a guy that's able to give you some home runs. Dean Peralta is a guy that really goes under the radar as well. He had a very good year last year. I think that he's a guy that could take a step forward and really be a good power bat for this team. And then you round it out with Cattell Marte, a guy that was able to hit 14 home runs, drove in 59 runs last year. I like what he's able to do. Noah Ahmad in the infield is a guy that is a little bit more of a defensive stopper, but he actually hit well. During spring training as well, you've got Dyson out there. So you do have some bats for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And with the Dodgers, you've just got a glut of guys that are able to hit. They traded away Yasiel Puig in the offseason and Jock Peterson. Looked just absolutely atrocious during spring training. But with that said, I mean, just take a look at this lineup. Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Max Muncy. They now have A.J. Pollock, who I was talking about earlier. Cody Bellinger. There's just so many guys that can hit for this team. This is a total I have to take over because I think that the Dodgers could easily get to five runs in this game. Even if this line drops a little bit, it might be one where I might even take a look at the LA Dodgers, depending on who the Diamondbacks are going to be sending out there for relief pitching because this is just an interesting total here because there's some realm in which there is a line move in which I'd probably take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks on the run line, but... If this line stays steady, I might actually take a look at the Dodgers on the run line itself. So this is one where I am currently in wait and see mode on where this total on where this line goes in regards to the side. But with that said, I've already fired in on the over of seven and a half. I do think that the Diamondbacks are going to be able to get at least three runs, and I think that the Dodgers have a great likelihood of being able to get to five in this spot. So fired in on the over for the side. That is one you're going to need to check my Twitter page on in the morning at June and underscore eighty one. Staying in the NL West, you've got 915-916 as it is the San Francisco Giants hitting the road faceoff against the San Diego Padres. Madison Bumgarner going for the Giants. Meanwhile, you've got for the Padres, Eric Lauer. Total on this one, 7.5 shaded to the over. I'm seeing mostly minus 120s. I'm seeing a couple totals of 8 with the under at minus 125 there. Meanwhile, you're seeing pretty even line out here. I'm seeing the Biggest spread of San Francisco, even money. And then I'm seeing the San Diego Padres in most spots at minus 105, depending on where you look. Some of these minus 108, minus 102. So pretty even line here. And this is one where I do think that the Giants have a little bit of a leg up in this game. I know that the Padres obviously made a bunch of offseason moves. You've still got Eric Hosmer there. You've got Manny Machado and company. And for that reason, with the if you're able to find an eight with the Juice shaded to the under. I would go with over eight at like even money plus 105, something in that neighborhood because I do think that there's going to be some offense. The Giants obviously scuffled with the bats last year, but I expect Brandon Belt to have a little bit of a better year. You've still got Buster Posey in the lineup, and this is a Giants team that I think is going to be coming out a little bit hot to begin the year because this is the last year of Bruce Bochy. Madison Bumgarner, we saw his velocity decline a little bit last year, but with that said, he's still a very good pitcher. Eric Lauer is a guy that really did come on for 
for the Padres last year, but I still have some questions with them, especially on opening day. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for this Padres team to be able to mesh, and I do think that the experience of the Giants at least going to be able to help them out a little bit in the short term. Obviously, they don't have Andrew McCutcheon, which they had to begin the year, and then they traded him away to the New York Yankees towards the midseason mark last year before the trade deadline. But with that said, I think you've got enough bats with the Giants, and you still have a couple questions with the Padres' bullpen that I think that they're going to be able to get to five runs in this game. I think they're going to be able to win it as well. Giants obviously still have some things to show up with their bullpen as well, so I do think that there's going to be some runs being scored with both these teams, improving on offense, even though it is going to be played in Pico Park, which, oh, by the way, the dimensions have been changed on Petco Park in recent years, which makes it a little bit less of a pitcher's park than it was in past years. So for that reason, I'm going to go with this game over, and I'm going to go with the Giants. Both these plays locked in. Game 9-17-9-18 on the bang rotation. you got the Rockies heading to Miami to face off against the Marlins. You've got Kyle Freeland, who was sensationalized here on the mound for the Rockies. And for the Miami Marlins, Jose Urena as the total on this one is 8 shaded to the under. And I'm also seeing it's essentially a 50-50 split with 8 shaded to the under. And then you've got 7.5 with the over shaded up there. So it depends on whether you want to go 7.5 or 8. And then I'm currently seeing the Rockies as a minus 145 favorite in a lot of spots, but I am seeing some minus 140s and even a minus 138 out there as well. This is one where I posted out there the Rockies, and I'm going to be on this team no matter what. I don't care what this winds up being. I'm going to be taking Rockies money line here, but with that said, I am waiting a little bit because I am noticing a little bit of money coming in on the Marlins. I'm going to try to see if the Rockies are able to get down a couple extra cents so that maybe I can get something like a 125 or a 130 if I'm really lucky. Not sure if it's going to be able to get there, but I really do like Kyle Freeland. He's a pitcher that I was really looking to back last year. And then when you take a look at the Colorado Rockies, you do have so many guys that are doing a good job of being able to hit for this team. We all know what Nolan Arenado can do. He's been an MVP performer for this team for many years with both his glove and his bat. And then in the offseason, you add David Murphy to this lineup. Very good first baseman for this team. Trevor Story is a guy that's able to match. You've got Dahl out there in the outfield along with Ian Desmond, Ryan McMahon. I mean, the list goes on and on. You've got so many guys with power. You've got Chase Blackman up there hitting leadoff. I know that he didn't have the best spring training, but with that said, I think that he and Daniel Murphy are going to be able to pick it up, and I think that they're going to have a really nice year. And then for the Miami Marlins, Jose Urania was a much better pitcher than his record would indicate last year. He was a little bit of a tough local loser, but with that said, Miami Marlins don't have a whole lot of redeeming qualities right now. You trade away J.P. Riumuto in the offseason. You've got Lewis Brinson, who's hitting a little bit better for this team, but with that said, I'm right now taking a look up and down the lineup, and I don't know a whole lot of these guys. You know, Martin Brado is able to give this team a little bit of production. He had a couple good years with the Atlanta Braves. You have Brian Anderson, who had 11 home runs last year. Ugh. I mean, I I don't know what to say. I think this could be just a massive blow nearby the Rockies. I wound up taking this game over because I think that Colorado might be able to get to six runs in this game. I just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of the Miami Marlins. What we did notice with the Rockies, though, and this is something that is so important with betting this game, the Rockies with Kyle Freeland had one of the best F5 records, at least Freeland did as an individual, and then the Rockies' bullpen was awful last year. I mean, 
awful. So I think that Freeland could give up like no runs in seven innings, and then the Rockies could still give up three. But with that said, with all the firepower that the Rockies have, I think they get to at least five in this game. So for that reason, I do think that the Rockies are going to be able to get the win, and I think they're going to be doing some mashing on this day. So I'm going to be taking this game over, and I am going to be backing the Colorado Rockies, and I am just merely waiting for the exact final price I get on that. 919-920 on the bang rotation. You've got Andrew Kasher going for the Baltimore Orioles, who are on the road facing off against the New York Yankees with Masahiro Tanaka. And it is the Yankees, an overwhelming minus 380 favorite across the board. Depending on where you look, you're getting between plus 290 and plus 320 with the Baltimore Orioles. Total on this one is nine, shaded to the under. This is one in which I had to take over. Let's face it, the Baltimore Orioles don't have much bullpen pitching. Andrew Kashner is a cash burner of a pitcher. This, oh man, this brought... This Orioles team, we talked about it with Zan Zimborski. They don't have much. They've got Jonathan VR. Chris Davis was just an absolute nightmare. And then you take a look at the New York Yankees. You've got so many guys that are able to hit for this team. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. You've got everyone out there. I mean, I guess that if you're getting plus 320 on the Orioles every single game and you just keep betting them, there's a little bit of value. But with that said, I don't see the Orioles being able to get to 60 wins this year. I don't see how they're able to win this game. I know that Masahiro Tanaka is prone to giving up a couple runs, and I do think the Orioles get to three runs, but I think that the Yankees will just absolutely hit Andrew Kashner so hard. So for that reason, I am on the over, and I am on the Yankees' run line. Last I checked, Yankees' run line was right around minus 170, which obviously not ideal, but it's the only play I can really advise here. I just cannot get behind this Baltimore Orioles squad. Just like I said, no redeeming qualities here. We move on, 9:21, 9:22 on the bank rotation. You've got the Detroit Tigers going on the road to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays as we go north of the border. And on the bump for the Detroit Tigers, you've got Jordan Zimmerman. And then for the Toronto Blue Jays, it is Marcus Stroman. Tigers are about plus 130 across the board. Meanwhile, with the Blue Jays, depending on what juice you're getting, right around minus 140 to minus 145. And this is a spot where I actually look at the Detroit Tigers. I know that the Tigers don't necessarily have a lot of bats or anything like that, but Marcus Stroman just really struggled last year. He had a good year a couple years ago when the Toronto Blue Jays were able to make the postseason, but I just have not been crazy about him the past couple years. And then with the Detroit Tigers, I actually do like what Zimmerman is able to bring to the table. He's not by any means a lights out pitcher or anything like that, but he had about a 4-5 ERA. He's fielding independent. Wasn't necessarily terrible. You've got a Tigers team that is obviously in a lot of turnover. They've got a first year manager as they can. Ron Gardenhire out there in the offseason as well, but I do like that Nick Castellanos is able to give this team a little bit of pop, and then you take a look at the first base spot. They got things really shored up with Miguel Cabrera hopefully being healthy. Last year, he only hit three home runs because he missed nearly the whole year for this team, so having a healthy Miguel Cabrera is so important for this team. You've got Kendallaro out there for this team as well, so you've got a couple bats for this team with the Toronto Blue Jays. They are a team that they hit a lot of home runs, and they strike out a lot. You don't know what you're going to get game to game from guys like Kendrys, Morales, 
It's why you're going to probably see a bunch of Blue Jays games that go way over the total, and you're going to see a bunch of games that go way under the total because Justin Smoke, Randall Gritchick, there's just not a lot of consistency with them. You've got Gurriel coming over from the Houston Astros. I think that he's a guy that could give this team a little bit of something. And then Kevin Pillar is a very good defender for this team, and he's able to give them a little bit of a bat. They also acquired Eric Sogard in the offseason from the Milwaukee Brewers. With that said, I do think that this is a game that goes over. We notice a lot of Tigers versus Blue Jays games going over last season, and I think that both these teams are going to hit quite a few home runs with the power that both these teams have. Like I said, this is a total in which is going to be feast or famine. I don't see this landing like right on 8 or 9. I see this either being like 14 plus, or I see this one being about 3. So... It's one of those things where you're rolling the dice as to how many home runs you're going to get, and I think both these pitchers are going to be gas-canned in this one. I do think that the Tigers have a little bit of a better bullpen because you take a look at who's right now closing out games for the Toronto Blue Jays. You've got Ken Giles. It's just not good. I am not bullish on this bullpen whatsoever. Needless to say, the Tigers don't necessarily have the Mona Lisa vetoes of bullpen pitching either, but with that said, I do think that the Tigers provide a little bit more power with Miguel Cabrera back in the lineup, so I am riding with the Tigers and the over in this spot, both locked in. Game 923-924 on the betting rotation. You got the Houston Astros heading to the trop to face off against the Tampa Bay Hot Shell Rays. Justin Verlander on the mound for the Houston Astros. Blake Snell going for the Tampa Bay Rays. And this is a total of 6.5 shaded right now to the over. I'm seeing 1-7 in which you've got the over at plus 105. And right now across the board, it is the Astros between a minus 125 and minus 134 favorite. And with the Rays, you're getting at your peak value plus 124. This is one where I've got to take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Blake Snell was the Cy Young Award winner in the American League last year for a reason. And then you've got such good relief pitching with the Tampa Bay Rays. I am really impressed by this team. I don't think that you're going to get a whole ton of production in regards to the bats, but we all know that the Houston Astros are able to rake a little bit. You've got guys like George Springer out there. We all know what they were able to do last year with Alex Bregman really coming on as well. I think that with the Houston Astros, you've got a whole bunch of bats. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, I do feel like they are improving with regards to their bats, and then they made some big offseason acquisitions. Tommy Pham was able to give 21 home runs last year to the St. Louis Cardinals, and now he is in the lineup. Kevin Kiermeyer really struggled with his bat last year, but you could tell that he was really picking it up. You bring in Mark Zanino, catcher from the Seattle Mariners. So this is a team that seems to be improving a little bit. And then at the top of the lineup, you've got a guy that is right now playing DH and Austin Meadows, I think is going to be able to take a little bit of a step forward. He was batting right around 290 for this team. So I think that he's a guy that's really going to be able to set the table for the Rays and right now taking a look at the Astros. I think he's going to play, but Carlos Correa currently listed as day-to-day on the injury report. So that's something that you want to note. I think that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to get to four runs in this game because Justin Verlander, we noticed at the back half of last year, he was actually struggling a little bit. So for that reason, I'm going to wind up taking this game over. I am going to take the Tampa Bay Rays, but at this point, the Rays are a team that I currently have the stop sign up for because I think that there's going to be more money coming in on the Houston Astros. Would love to be able to get plus 130 or greater with the Rays. If it turns out that I can only get right around 120, 125, that is going to be the case. But I am going to be on the Rays, and I am on this total over with the total being so low. And with the Astros, their one big woe is relief pitching as well. And I think that the Rays are able to take advantage of that. 925, 926 on the bang rotation. You've got the battle out there in Cali as it is the Angels with Trevor Cahill 
going on the road faceoff against the Oakland A's with Mike Straight Fires going on the mound for the A's. Total on this one is 9, shaded to the over. And currently when you take a look at it, the Angels are between even money to plus 109 at some spots. And with the A's, you're laying right around 115 to 119, depending on where you look. This is a spot in which I've really got to take a look at the Angels. I was not very happy with what I saw out of the Oakland A's to start off the year in Japan. Now, granted, very, very weird situation, but Mike Fires really got touched up in that first game against the Seattle Mariners. You've obviously got Chris Davis in the lineup for the A's. He was able to mash so many home runs for this team last year. I do like the way that you guys... Simeon out there at the shortstop spot as well. And then for the Angels, you are dealing with some injuries to Justin Upton and Shohei Otani, but obviously you've got Mike Trout fully healthy, and he's going to be ready to go for the season. He's a guy that he is worth more to any team in baseball, I would say, than anyone else. And then with the Angels, you've got Cole Calhoun, a guy that is currently batting leadoff, and that's not necessarily ideal, but he is a guy that really emerged towards the second half of the season. I think that Simmons is not only a great fielder, but he's actually been emerging with the bat. Well, you get out of Albert Bujols, as anyone's guess, but you bring in Justin Bohr in the offseason. Zach Kozart can take a step forward. I actually think that Jonathan Lucroy, even though he's had some bad past couple of years, he's a guy that's going to be able to add a little bit of pop to the lineup as well. They had Martin Maldonado, a catcher, and then they traded him away. Maldonado, obviously more of a defensive savant. With Lucroy, he's always been a smart catcher behind the plate, and he's also been able to give a little bit of help with his bat as well. That's really waned in the past couple of years. Maybe this change of scenery does it for him. This is a total in which I've got to take under. I just can't see either of these teams being able to exceed four runs here, so I lock that in. And I do think that the Angels are going to be able to get a win here because I do think that the A's just way overperformed last year. I just don't see the team being able to duplicate what they did last year. And I do think that the Angels are going to be able to come out a little bit hot because as we remember last year, they got off to a very good start before Shohei Otani got hurt. So for that reason, I am on the Angels in this spot and on the under, both locked in. Now to perhaps the trickiest game on the board, 927-928 on the betting rotation. You've got the Cleveland Indians going on the road faceoff against the Minnesota Twins. Corey Kluber going on the mound for the Indians. Meanwhile, for Minnesota, one of my favorite names to say, Jose Barrios. Total on this one, 7.5. You're seeing it shaded to the under in some spots. And then with the Indians, you're seeing as low as minus 112 and as high as minus 116. And then with the Twins, you're getting between plus 102 and plus 106, depending on the juice you've got there. This is one where I look at the Indians, but you do have a lot of question marks with the Indians. Jose Ramirez obviously took that bean ball a couple days ago. We don't know his status along with the status of Jason Kipnis as well. So for that reason, I am currently waiting to see what happens with that, along with Lindor as well. So you've got a lot of injury concerns with the Cleveland Indians in this spot. So for that reason, I am right now holding off on this game. I'm leaning towards the over because I know that Jose Barrios was very good at home last year. But with that said, the Indians, they do have a lot of guys that are able to mash. But you don't know who's going to be doing the mashing on this team because you do have so many injury concerns. And with the Minnesota Twins, they are a team that did a lot in the offseason. And a lot of people expect them to be a little bit better. This is essentially the... AL Central to lose for the Cleveland Indians, but with that said, you do have a couple players that are able to step up for this Twins team. I know that Jorge Polanco is currently day-to-day, and Miguel Sano is not going to be starting out the year for this team, but Sano was a guy that 
really disappointed last year. He came on strong towards the end of the year, but with that said, he didn't necessarily impress me. But with the Minnesota Twins, you still have Max Kepler, a guy that's really improving. You signed Nelson Cruz in the offseason. Eddie Rosario is a nice bat out there. And then you signed C.J. Crone in the offseason along with Jonathan Scope, which Jonathan Scope, oh, by the way, the Brewers was just absolutely awful. But if he and Andreanza can get something going, the Twins could have a pretty... Solid lineup out there. So I do think that this is a total that's probably going to go over. With the juice being where it is, I am probably going to look at being the over at even money at 7.5. So that is someplace where I'm looking. But I am leaning towards the Indians here. But with that said, I am currently waiting for more injury information. So if you're able to get even money or better on the over at 7.5, I would take that. And then with the Indians... Leaning towards that spot, but we'll be updating in the morning as I find out a little bit more about the whole injury information there. 9.29, 9.30 on the betting rotation. You've got the White Sox going to Kansas City to face off against the Royals. Carlos Rodon going for the White Sox. Meanwhile, Brad Thunder Keller going for the Kansas City Royals. And Keller was actually very good last year for the Royals. He was a nice, surprising player for this team. And Rodon, the second half of the season after he came back from injury, he was sensational. And I do have to look to Carlos Rodon in this spot. I know that Keller was able to essentially be the best pitcher for the Royals. He had a ERA right around a 3-1. And with the White Sox, they're probably not going to have John Jay in this game. He's currently on the 10-day injured list due to illness. But with the White Sox, I do feel like you have a couple more bats. The Royals last year were actually one of the best teams in regards to not striking out. And yet they just weren't able to generate any offense. It was absolutely incredible to see what happened there. And now you have Yonder Alonso out there at the cleanout spot for the White Sox to give this team a little bit of pop. Yoan Moncada batted 235 last year with 17 home runs. Looks like he's going to be in the leadoff spot for this team. But if he's able to get something going, it could really be huge for this team because now you've got Daniel Polka giving this team 27 home runs. If he can put it together, that is going to be absolutely huge. And then with the catcher spot, Wellington Castillo is a guy that I've actually been a little bit bullish on. And then the big splash in the offseason was the White Sox fully committing to Eloy Jimenez. They signed him to that big deal. He's a good power hitter along with Jose Abreu. So you've got some pop out there with the White Sox. And you have absolutely none of it with the Kansas City Royals. Right now they've got Ryan O'Hearn who hit 12 home runs last year at the cleanup spot. This team did a very good job of not striking out. They just don't have anyone that generates offense. I mean, Hunter Dozier hit 230 with 11 home runs last year. They no longer have Whit Merrifield. I'm just taking a look at this lineup with the Royals, and I'm sitting here like, how are they going to get to two runs? The White Sox have an awful bullpen, and I just can't find a way that the Royals get to two runs. I think the White Sox probably get to five in this spot. I wound up taking this game under, and I am all about the White Sox here. I just have absolutely no idea whatsoever how you can hit your wagon into this Royals team. Their team, I think, is going to probably lose about 100 games this year, so it's just not good there. We are on and locking in White Sox and the under in this spot. 9.31, 9.32 on the betting rotation. You've got the Boston Red Sox with Chris Sale going on the mound, and they hit the road to T-Mobile Stadium? Yeah, they changed the name of Safeco Park to T-Mobile Park. 
I have no idea why. But with that said, they are going to Seattle to face off against Marcos Gonzalez of the Seattle Mariners. The total on this one is seven. I'm seeing it shaded to the over, but I am seeing a couple seven flights out there as well. And with the Red Sox, they are currently laying between 195 and 200 on the money line. And with the Mariners, you're getting plus 175 to plus 180 across the board. This is a spot where I really do have to take a look at the Red Sox. I know that there's a couple things going on behind the scenes. I was able to talk to a good buddy of mine, Joe Murray, who covers the Red Sox and everything like that. And I know that there's some things going on with the contract situation of Mookie Betts and everything like that. But man, you've got Chris Sale on the mound. He obviously got a little bit banged up towards the end of last year, but I think that this is a game that the Red Sox should be able to win by two-plus runs. I'm right now seeing a run line out there of minus 120, and I would fully advise you to take it. I was able to get a little bit of a better number with the Boston Red Sox, but I think that this is a spot where the Red Sox are going to be able to win and win convincingly. There's a reason why the Seattle Mariners' win total is set so low. I really do like the way that they were able to get some of their guys going, though, in that two-game series against the A's in which they were able to win both those games. Tim Beckham looked very good. He's currently batting 7-14 with a home run. He should be a very nice shortstop. And then out there in the outfield, they were able to make a nice acquisition in the offseason because they lost Nelson Cruz for Domingo Santana. He's the guy that was able to hit a home run in that series. But with the Boston Red Sox, you've just got way too many pieces for this team to fail. Jackie Bradley Jr., I mentioned Mookie Betts a little bit earlier. Andrew Benintendi is one of the most underrated players in the entire league, in my opinion. Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez. You've just got a murderer's row, and I think that the Red Sox are going to be able to put up six-plus runs in this game. I don't know if Chris Sale is able to throw a shutout. I think he gives up a run or two. You obviously don't have Craig Kimbrell closing out games anymore for the Red Sox, and they do have a little bit of a vulnerability at the bullpen spot, but... For that reason, I am all about the Red Sox in this game. I think they win this game by multiple runs, and I certainly think that the Red Sox are going to be able to put up a lot of runs on a guy, Marco Gonzalez, that was okay for this team last year, but he was a guy that seemed to have faded towards the second half of the season, and I think that's going to continue on into this season. So for that reason, Red Sox, run line, and the over, the locked-in plays there. And we end it with the Chicago Cubs versus the Texas Rangers at the bottom of the rotation because it's an inner league game 933-934 on the banging rotation. John Lester goes for the Cubs who are on the road to face off against the Rangers who trot out their Mike Miner. And on this game I'm currently seeing the Cubs at minus 130, Texas Rangers plus 120. Pretty flat across the board, and the total of 9.5 with the over and under both at minus 110. This is a game in which I'm going to take under. I know that the Sabermetrics folks are not a big fan of John Lester, but he was actually very good for this team last year. Was he maybe a little bit lucky? Yes, but the Cubs in general have some very good fielding, so they were able to do a nice job of being able to support John Lester, who last year was 18-6 and with a 3-3-2 ERA. He had one of the biggest splits between his ERA and his fielding independence, but with that said, Mike Miner, not a guy that I necessarily want to hitch my wagon to, though he actually did pitch well in the second half of the year last year. He went 12-8 and with a 4-1-8 ERA. He actually pitched well the year before with the Kansas City Royals, but he had a little bit of tough luck because the Royals are the Royals, and he's had a very nice comeback ever since he had all those injuries with the Atlanta Braves. But with that said, I do think that the Cubs are going to be able to get to him in this game. I really do think that a guy like Anthony Rizzo is going to be able to have success. He's a guy that does a little bit of everything on the offensive end. And truth be told, Texas is essentially the biggest park in regards to overs from last year. They were really setting those totals high, 10, 11. They were in the double digits, and they seem to always be flying over. But with that said, I do think that 
John Lester is going to be able to hold the Texas Rangers in, te- in check. You've got Ben Zobris back in the outfield for the Chicago. Wilson Contreras, I think, is going to have a big year for this team, and we saw Bodie really be able to step up as well. I still think that Schwarber is a little bit of a question mark. Kyle Schwarber had a nice bounce back year last year, but I still do have some questions with him. And with that said, the Rangers... Our team, I just have a tough time hitching my wagon to because you do have Elvis Andrus, who's a very good shortstop in regards to his defense, and then you have Rudnett or Dorr. They just seem to have a lot of guys that they either hit home runs or strikeouts. Hunter Pence has been added, but he's pretty ancient. He's not what he once was. You've got Sinchu Chu at the beginning of the lineup, and he does a good job of being able to get on base, but he doesn't necessarily get driven in because you don't know what you're going to get out of guys like Joey Gallo and company. This is a team that is very feast or famine in that they get a bunch of home runs, and they don't have really anyone that gets on base. And the textbook definition of that is Joey Gallo, as he had nearly as many singles as he did home runs last year. Delino DeShields is a guy with great speed, but he only had 216 last year. He's currently batting at the bottom of the lineup. I just don't know if the Texas Rangers are going to be able to get enough base runners to be able to get to three runs. I think that they're going to be able to hit a couple solo shots, but they just don't get on base consistently. I think that John Lester is going to be able to keep them at bay. So for that reason, I'm going to play this game under, and I am going to take the Chicago Cubs here, but I'm noticing that a little bit of steam is coming in on the Texas Rangers, so for that reason, at this number in the low 130s, I am currently holding off. I'm trying to see if I can get the Cubs right around 120, 125 if at all possible. If it does doesn't turn out that way, I will still be on the Cubs, so I'm not going to be changing my play either way, just right now waiting on the numbers, so going to be playing the Cubs, and I've already locked in the under on this game, so those are my plays here on the baseball betting board for this Thursday, and a big thanks to Dan Zimborski for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. This podcast is available on Apple iTunes, which we're still being verified, so they might not be available necessarily the first day on iTunes, but if it's not, it will be within the next 48 hours, rest assured there. But even if we're not on iTunes, we're also on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn as well. You can subscribe to the podcast on all those fine platforms. As always, follow me on Twitter at unit underscore 81 and fire in any questions that you might have since the baseball season is young and I'm sure that many of you guys have questions as to how I handicap baseball and everything like that. And folks, it is opening day in baseball. It is a tremendous day and I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous season. Let's make today a successful and profitable one and I look forward to talking to you guys again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.